Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and open up to Galatians 2. I, uh, we, we started walking through Galatians a couple weeks ago. I, I've had this on my heart for a while, and um, in fact, I, I would say for several months I've had Galatians on my mind, and then um, at the uh, KMUSA gathering, it just felt like the Lord was reinforcing some thoughts, and so... Uh, I've just been ro- rolling through some of these things when I've had the opportunity to, to uh, preach and teach. So uh, today I want to focus on, we're going to really kind of cover the whole chapter, although we're really not going to focus as much on the first part where Paul talks about being accepted by the apostles. That part's really cool. You should read that um, and, and, and maybe ask the Lord what he wants you to, to catch from that. But I don't have time to cover all of it today. We're going to kind of start where Paul opposed Peter. And, uh, and then we're going to work our way to the end of that chapter. So uh, uh, a couple things just to set this up this morning. Um, the title of today's message is At Rest in Christ. Oh, man. We need, uh, we need, some, uh, we need to be at rest, don't we? Anybody feel a little bit wound up lately? Um, there's just a lot of craziness going on in the world I mean, we've had three mass shootings in the past week. It it's, blows my mind that um, we could live in a country that's so great and have people so disgruntled and, and so angry. Uh, there's such a spirit of darkness in this country right now. We're a wound up society. And, uh, and I, I imagine that there are many of us who sort of feel that tension in our lives uh, from day to day, whether it is we're fighting off the sickness or or whether, you know, it's just work, or relationships and family, and people are complicated. And we just find ourselves sometimes feeling wound up, feeling like, like we've got to, uh, to, to strive and, and achieve more. But we are called by God to be at rest in Christ. And, and I want to remind us, before we even jump into this, is that we no longer have to strive in order to prove ourselves to God. That was our tendency, I mean, that's our natural human tendency to, to think I sort of, I have to prove myself to God. I've got to earn my own way to the Father. Have you ever heard somebody say, I've got to get my life right before I can get into church? That's that mentality. Christ has accomplished everything for us. We are at rest in Him if we are in Him, whether we realize it or not. One of the reasons we struggle, I think this is one of the reasons the church struggles in in our day in disciple-making. Can we all just agree, we're struggling in disciple-making in today's church, particularly in America. This is is something that we really struggle with. We're good at at getting information into people's heads. We're not so great at getting it into their hearts and into their lives. We've really struggled with that. I think one of the reasons we struggle with that is uh, because we find ourselves thinking of discipleship as a striving rather than as a resting. So instead of thinking of growing into Christ's likeness as something that, that is just natural and restful for the believer, we think of it as just another thing I've got to tack onto my life. So instead of discipleship becoming our lives, we're making it an add-on. And then, of course, it becomes, it becomes something that, that's difficult and, and that causes trouble for us. But being Christian is actually who we are now. That, that's an important thing for us to embrace. Being Christian is actually who we are now. It's not an add-on to our lives. It's our identity. And it's our place of rest. Being Christian is our place 
of rest. Growing in Christ's likeness is a place of rest for us. And in that place of rest, you don't have to follow the world's pattern anymore. And what I mean by the world's pattern is, you know, um, is, is this whole idea of, of having to work and, and strive to build something so that we'll have something to show for our lives. And this, this intense pressure, realization that, that you know, um, we've got like 80 years to make this thing count, right? Um, some of us live longer than that. Some of us live a lot longer. I was reading this crazy article about people who live like past 100. It's like amazing. Um, you know, I, it just blows my mind uh, to have seen an entire century. But, but for most of us, you know, it's like we, 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 we feel this pressure to make it count for this time that we're on the earth. And, and so what does that mean for us? The, the world tells us, well, you've got you've to build up wealth, You've got to have prosperity, whatever that means. You've got to have, uh, you know, some, some sort of legacy for yourself. And there's this pressure to build a certain type of life, to attain to a certain level in society. Not so with Christ. Because we know that in Christ we're not going to miss out on anything no matter what we build in this world. We actually get to live like there's an eternity and that we already have all the wealth we need in Jesus. It's not to say that we should be lazy or, or, uh, or, or run around you know, doing nothing, but we need to realize that our true wealth and our true prosperity is not here. It's with Jesus. And in that place, we can rest from our work. The Bible calls it Sabbath. And Christ is our true Sabbath rest. So, I mention all this because we see in this passage a story about a confrontation between Paul and Peter. And it's, it's really interesting because uh, Paul uses it to sort of jump into this conversation about justification by faith. Which, by the way, we Protestants love this passage, right? I mean, I'm just saying, this is like our bread and butter. Um, but, but, um, but this... Galatians 2 passage, Paul looks at what was happening between himself and Peter, and he, and he wants us to see the imbalance, so that then we can understand that we don't have to go back to that place where we used to live, and we have a new way forward in Christ. So I'll just sort of tell the story rather than read it, but uh, Paul says that, that, that Peter had come down to Antioch, where Paul was serving at the time. Paul was, was, uh, was pastoring and overseeing in the church there, along with Barnabas and some others. And this was, uh, this was you know, still pretty young Paul. And uh, they, while they were there, Peter came down, and he was doing great with the Gentile believers. He was eating their food. He was doing their stuff. He was hanging out with them. Right, Because you remember the Jerusalem Council had decided that really the only things that the church needed to do uh, was, to, uh, was to just follow a few simple rules. They didn't have to embrace the fullness of, of the Jewish law, which has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They, weren't, they didn't have to follow all the sacrificial elements. They were called to hold up the moral side and, and just to honor Christ, essentially. 
And so Peter was living, you know, and, and remember, Jesus had spoken to Peter in a dream and said, hey, Peter, you know, don't call anything unclean which I have declared clean. And, the, and, it, and it says in that passage straight up that in the, these things, he declared all foods to be clean. So Peter wasn't practicing the old food laws anymore. He was openly embracing the Christian life. And when he was with Gentiles, he was having no problem. I'm sure eating shellfish, they were probably having lobster. I don't know. It was by the ocean. So why not? You know, um, they, were, they, were, they were having all kinds of good food together, good fellowship. Then all of a sudden, uh, it says some, so Paul writes that until certain people came from James. So James was the elder in Jerusalem. So some guys, some Jerusalem believers came down to Antioch. Now all of a sudden, Peter starts to put on a different face. He stopped eating with the Gentile Christians, and he, and he, stopped, uh, he stopped eating the, the foods that he was previously having no problem eating, you know, ham sandwiches and things like that. He was, he was doing all that, and then all of a sudden, uh, he stops because his, some Jewish brethren who had, were also Christian came down, but there was a, um, a pro-circumcision party, as Paul says, and Peter started blending in with them because he was afraid of what they might think. So he started to embrace some elements of his past, which he'd been freed from in Christ. And Paul says, what a hypocrite. <laughs> Paul says, in fact, it says, he says, not only that, the rest of the Jews also joined Peter in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray. And so um, Paul says, but I opposed him. I opposed Peter to his face. I love Paul's language. Paul, Paul's just this, you can tell Paul's this guy who doesn't have time to mess around with it. You know what I mean? He's just, Paul's like, no, that's not right. And he calls Peter out in front of everybody. And he says, this is not the way that we're living. You know, it's not, it's not how we've learned Christ. He says, uh, but I saw they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel. And I said to, to Peter in front of them all, if you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And he's reminding Peter, Peter, we've been given a new, a new way of life in Christ. We're no longer justified based on our outward expressions, but our justification comes from the inner work of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Some people may wonder. I know it's, it's a word that we maybe don't use a whole lot except for in church gatherings. But it, it, the word justified or justification, it, it means to be made right. When we talk about justice in the culture, right, we're talking about righteousness. Things should be right. And to be justified means to be made right, in this case particularly with God. And so Peter was wrestling through this. Now, I will tell you that, um, that I've told you many times I'm a church kid, right? So this is one of the things I, I struggle with, too. I think people who grew up in a religious context tend to have this as a part of their struggle. Because what we, what we will oftentimes do is forget that we're saved by grace, and then we start to lean on our works again, thinking that we're somehow earning something in the kingdom. And then that becomes striving for us. I'm sure there are other people in this room who relate with me on that. The Lord had to do a, a work in reminding me of this just the past, the past couple of weeks. Uh, I, I, I've just, I get busy with everything, and, uh, and sometimes I, I, I begin to just build up a lot of pressure on myself 
to get everything accomplished. And the other day, the, the, I felt like the Spirit just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, why are you doing all this? <laughs> and I just had to slow down. And I just realized, you know what? You're right, Lord. I can't do it all. I have to trust Him. I just have to trust Him because uh, what I try to do is I try to plug all the holes thinking that I can handle it myself, and I can't handle it myself. And, and then I, I get burnt out, and I get tired, and, and I need the Holy Spirit. And i got to be at rest. I have to be at rest in Him. Uh, he's, he's teaching me, continuing to teach me. But um, anyway, Peter was tempted to go back to self-justification, just like oftentimes we are. When we find ourselves pleading with God, well, well, Lord, how come this over here happened? Don't you remember how good of a boy I've been? You ever do that to God? You know, something bad happens to you. But God, God, I've been, I've been doing all these things. Look at, look at how good I've been, how, how, much, how spiritual I am. We, we're, all, we're all tempted in different ways. The truth is that we all have a tendency to justify ourselves. It goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. We want to claim our crowns for ourselves rather than resting in Jesus. Our first parents, rather than trusting in the Father, they claimed it for themselves by going to the tree and grabbing the fruit. The story of the garden, we often think it's about the fruit. You know, it's like there was something mystically evil about that fruit that was not there was nothing evil about the fruit there's nothing bad about knowing good and evil you know that you realize that that's not wrong and i believe the father always intended to reveal both good and evil to adam and eve but he wanted to do it in his own time he was discipling them how do i know that because he called them to reign alongside of him and they couldn't have possibly done that unless they would have had the knowledge that 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 that, uh, of, of both good and evil so I believe the Father always intended to give them that knowledge, but in his own time when they were ready for it, and they took, reached out and grabbed it for themselves, essentially grabbing the crown right off of God's head and putting it on themselves and saying, no, I'm going to, no, it's like, no, thank you, Lord. I'll go ahead and be the master of my own life. And that's what we do when we go back and reach towards self-justification, just like Peter did. So it is one of our greatest problems And it leads us towards striving and burnout rather than peace, which we have in Christ. So then that leads me to a couple of questions I think that we should be considering today. One is, uh, who are you living to please today? Peter had the pro-circumcision party showing up. And the the pro-circumcision party, again, they were were about trying to return. They, They were like, Jesus and the law, you know. Um, and and it, it, it didn't work. So Peter felt pressure to please them instead of to please Christ. And I'm not knocking Peter. I'm just saying we all have the same problem. And it was good of Paul to confront Peter, and it would be good of us to confront one another if we see that in each other, by the way. Um, but the second one is, is, who are you trying to be justified in front of? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe, it's, maybe, maybe you've never felt like your father loved you. Um, maybe you've had issues with, with siblings. Maybe you've had issues with, with uh, your boss at work. 
Maybe in your marriage, you feel like you can never please your spouse, and you're just working really hard to be justified, and you're all wound up. Maybe it's something completely different for you. (laughs) For me, it's religious work. I mean, guys, like, I'm a pastor, and I'm a church planting strategist. Like, I spend all of my life trying to serve the church, and I get wound up on that, and God has to remind me. For us, for each one of us, it's different things. But I, I think it's important for us to consider what it is for us. Okay, now let's actually get into the meat of the scriptures. Um, and we're going to read in verse 15, but before, before we, we do that, uh, I want to pray over this. Father, we're getting ready to read your word. And, um, and Father, the reality of this is uh, we are human, and the human heart is desperately sick. And even those of us who have received Jesus and who have been renewed and are being renewed, uh, we still really struggle to understand what you're saying. And we really need your power right now, Lord. We need, we need the revelatory power of the Holy Spirit. We need you to connect the dots for us, Father. We need you to help us to understand what it is you're trying to say to us through this word. And so, Father, I ask that you would do that. And, Father, I ask that you would guide um, the, the, the teaching that, that I'm bringing. But, Father, more importantly, that you would get through what you want to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting in verse 15, um, and, and, and again, this probably is one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. God has used this to mold me in a lot of ways. And I could tell stories, but I won't tell them right now because uh, I, I want to make sure you guys actually make it to lunch today. <laughs> but uh, he says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ then One who encourages sin? Absolutely not. But if I build up again those things I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I am one who breaks God's law. For through the law, I die to the law so that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Can we just be affected by that for a minute? Can we just be affected by the goodness and the grace of Jesus? Uh, this is powerful. I want to. I want to just make a few observations here. We could spend a lot of time on this one passage, probably multiple weeks. But uh, but but I want to make a few observations. First thing, uh, if you look there in verses fifteen and sixteen, uh, Paul makes a pretty good, pretty important point for us. And. Um, 
And, and I want to talk about embracing rest, embracing the rest that we have in Jesus. There's freedom in knowing that your place with God isn't based on your ability to be faithful, but on the faithfulness of Jesus. Now I'll tell you, I intentionally chose to read this out of the New English translation today, which is one of my, I do like it for Bible study. Uh, I mostly preach out of the Christian standard, but I chose this translation because they word this differently than most English translations. Most English translations take that, that where he says we're justified by works of the law, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, which is not a bad translation, but the guys who uh, translated the NET, it's a very scholarly translation, they came back and said, we actually think that when that word construct is used, it's actually not, the emphasis is not on our faith, but actually on the faith of the subject, and that's Jesus. So the emphasis here is not on our faith and ability, our ability to, to be faithful, but rather on the faithfulness of Christ. If you look at the way this is constructed in the original language. And, uh, and anyway, I, it's, just, it's powerful when you think of it that way. Because, again, the emphasis is not on you or me. And by the way, nothing about the gospel emphasizes you or me. Everything about the gospel emphasizes the glory and the goodness of Jesus. And the reality is, we are, we are very broken. Can you imagine if God left it up to you to remain faithful? I would have failed a long time ago, many, many times over. Probably would have failed last week. Might have failed yesterday. I don't know. Um, but, but what I'm saying is we, we can't do it. We can't do it. And that's what Paul is bringing to our attention. He wants us to know that our place with God isn't based on our ability to be faithful, but on the faithfulness of Jesus. So Peter fell into the trap of forgetting this momentarily. And he found himself clinging again to his old... Uh, you know, tendency to strive towards his own righteousness and justify himself rather than resting in Jesus. Any of us can fall into that trap at any time. And we often do. When we try to save ourselves by striving to be good, the best we can do is dig our hole even deeper. That's the amazing thing, because we often think, well, well, you know, I, I hear this all the time, you know, there are a lot of good people in the world that aren't necessarily Christian. And I'm like, on the surface, that might be true. But when you look to the inner motivations of the heart, what we come to realize is there really aren't as many good people as we thought. Because the good that we do is not motivated by the glory of God or by serving others, but it really is motivated by trying to justify ourselves. You know, why, why, why does Hollywood want to save the whales? Is, is it really because they love the whales or is it because they want to look good? Why, I mean, you know, most people who give to charitable organizations or, or do nice things, I mean, it's good that they do those things, but if you, if you actually peeled back the layers and saw their motivation, most of the time it's because they want to be seen as good people. So it's ultimately Selfish. In Christ, 
we serve and we love simply because Christ has loved us. So we're just trying to image to the world what Jesus is like. So it's not about me. I don't have to earn my way anymore. I don't care whether or not somebody thinks well of me or likes me. Ultimately, what matters is that I love Jesus and that they see Christ in me. So uh, Paul wants us to be clear that even the best of us can't dig ourselves out of the sin pit. It takes faith, and particularly the faithfulness of Jesus and faith in his faithfulness. That's a good way to put it. We need to have faith in the faithfulness of Christ, not faith in our own ability to be faithful. And, and I will mention, too, that faith is not idle. So this is not like laziness. It's not like we just sit around. We want to act out of faith. But, again, it's not our own ability that puts us there. Faith is not idle, but faith trusts in God. When we try and take it for ourselves, like I mentioned earlier, we're just going back to the garden and we're, we're participating in the tree all over again. When we rest in Jesus, trusting him to justify us, to sanctify us, and ultimately to glorify us, we are acting out of the reversal of the patterns of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We may, have, we, find our, we may find our hearts reaching for the fruit, but we're letting it go. We're saying, God, I trust you. We believe in Jesus so that we may be justified, not by our own faithfulness, but by Christ's faithfulness. I don't know that I can say that too many times. We need to embrace that today. So embracing rest. Because when we know that our justification is based upon the faithfulness of Jesus, then we can be at rest. We can embrace the rest that we have in him. But the second part that I want to look at here, verses 17 and through 19, is, is that we need to remember the striving. Remember where we used to be. Remember what we were trying to do before we knew Christ. We need to remember that while we were under the old covenant of works, the best we could ever do was to dig our hole even deeper. That's all we ever did. Paul says no one can be justified by works of the law. No matter how many good deeds you do, you will never be justified before God based upon what you're able to accomplish. So if we've been set free from this, we don't want to forget who we are now. We also don't want to forget where we've been because it helps us to understand how glorious it is where we are now. But like Peter, we are often tempted to go back. And I would argue with you that this is a very American thing for us to do. Because we live in a culture that's built on striving to build our own lives based on our own grit and determination, our own ability just to make stuff happen. Pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, young man, and get it done. And there, there's a part of me that kind of loves that grit and that Americanness, you know, of the whole thing. But at the same time, if we apply that to ourselves spiritually, we're in a world of hurt. And again, it will wear us out, and it does wear us out. And I think we see that we're a culture that struggles with anxiety and depression and and, and, uh, and, and burnout more than any other culture that I know of in the world. 
because we're so tightly wound up over everything. What the Old Covenant taught us was that we are utterly unable to attain enough. We are utterly unable to attain righteousness on our own power. We can't be faithful enough. We can't be pure enough. And even if we could get close, our motives were wrong. So it was all unfruitful anyway. By grace, this realization faces us with our own desperate condition. And that's what Paul is pointing out to us. The old covenant, the covenant of works, the law, forces us to face our own inability to be good enough. And it puts us in a place of desperation. And when the Holy Spirit comes and places on us that realization, then what happens is our hearts begin to open up to the truth of the gospel that only through Jesus Christ can we have our soul healed and our hearts renewed. Our only, the only real choice that we have when we've been enlightened to this is to repent and believe the gospel, thus being freed from striving and put at rest in Christ. What else would we do? Would we keep frivolously striving when it's never going to get us there? A lot of people do. But that's not so with us because we've received the light of Christ through the Holy Spirit. The difference is the revelation that gives us the power to be transformed. And not only that, the Spirit comes alongside of us. Christ called him the helper. Why is he the helper? Because he comes alongside of us and he enables us to actually live lives based on this sort of faith. Whereas we were completely powerless to do it before. Now the the third part here, Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Does that stir up anything in you? That verse messes me up every time I read it. For I have been crucified with Christ. Can we just, can we, can we meditate on what that means for a minute? For I have been crucified with Christ. Paul just made an argument for us at the end of, or in, in verse 19. And he says, for through the law, I became dead to the law. Through the law, I died to the law so that I may live to God. This is like one of those statements that's just so well stated, right? But, but hear what he's saying. He's saying, look, I was exposed to my own death through the law. But then Christ, who perfectly fulfilled the law, and has called me as his child has set me free 
from those things that were destroying me so that now I'm free to live to God. And then the very next thing he says is, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, why is that so important? Because Paul, if you read a lot of Paul's writings, Paul spends a lot of time making legal arguments. He knows who he's writing to. He's writing to a bunch of Greeks and Romans, and, and, and so these guys are very logical thinkers. And Greek and Roman law, consequently, is, is what American law eventually becomes based upon. That and like a merger of, of, of Greek and Roman philosophy with Christian thought, which is really incredible. But that's what allowed this country to exist. Very logical thinkers. So Paul's making the legal case. And Paul's made that case to us before. He says, hey, if a widow or if, if, a, if, a, if a husband dies, a wife's not bound to her husband anymore. And, he, and, and, he, and he's told us in the same way, if we're dead to the law, we're no longer bound to it any longer. But now we're free to live for Christ. In freedom. We've also been told that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So that we will live in that freedom. I've been crucified with Christ. Again, if you have been crucified, if you have, and, and, and think about our symbol of baptism, buried with Christ in his death and raised to walk again in new life. If you've been crucified with Christ, your sin nature goes under the water as, as Christ's body went into the ground for three days. And then on the other side of that, in the resurrection, you are no longer dead in your sins and trespasses, but you are alive to Christ. Now that is amazing. That should affect us, Christian. We have been crucified with Christ. And Paul says, it's no longer I who live. The old dead me that was, that was striving and that was, that, was, that was so caught up in myself, he's dead. So who's alive now? Christ's alive in me. Christ is alive in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God. The life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, church, whose faithfulness is your new life based upon? Can we say that together? I'm just going to ask you the question. You, you give me the answer. Whose faithfulness is your new life based upon? Jesus. It's his faithfulness. It's his work which has earned your position with the Father. You're in the family not because you're just really impressive. You're in the family because Christ is impressive and he's taken you with him. There's freedom. And there's beauty in knowing that. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, I do not set aside God's grace because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. 
So we are a people resting in the grace of God, knowing that His grace is our only hope. The challenge for us now is to learn from the Spirit how we can actually live free lives in Christ. How am I now to live as Jesus would live if he were me? Because I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So how would Jesus live if he were me? That's the question. That's the discipleship question, right? Because that's how he wants us to live. We are to be the version of ourselves that God had in mind when he created the world. And Christ Death, burial, and resurrection has now enabled us to become that person that God had in mind when he created the world. When he had you in mind, because he did have you in mind. Do you know that, that when, when he created the universe, you were on his mind? Scripture tells us that. In fact, Scripture also says to us, those of us who are in Christ, you were called and set apart to, be, to belong to God before the foundations of the earth. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, before you ever had a chance to sin, even though God knew it was going to happen, he looked forward in history and he said, that's mine. That person is mine. And he began to plan your redemption and our redemption together as the church. Because it's not just individual, it's also collective. So the question How's he calling you to live in response to the reality of the faithfulness of Christ on your behalf? I would call that the million dollar question. And it's complicated. It's not just one thing. Actually, the, the red folders thing that we walked through this morning, that's kind of an attempt to help us get there. Those are practices. How do we practice the way of Jesus? But I want to give you a few, just a few things. I'm going to run down a few things. And then um, I know Pastor Richard has a word God has put on his heart. So uh, I want to give you a few points of application. One of them, this is something I feel like the Lord said in this, is to stop believing that you have to build the perfect American life or experience everything on this side of eternity and start living like you're going to live for eternity. <laughs> See the difference there? Like so many of us are, are living like, even Christian people, we're living like this is all there is. Because we've been so affected by secular humanism and all these things that tell us that we die and it's just over. Can we stop living like this is all there is and start living like there's an eternity? You can feel a lot better about leveraging your earthly resources into an eternity that actually exists in your mind and your heart. If we would live that way, it would change a lot for us because we would know that we're not going to miss out on anything in Christ. I don't need a bucket list. I have eternity. <laughs> Seriously. I, 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 I say this to people because I, people ask me silly questions like that. And I really, I don't have a bucket list. Don't need one. If I don't get to experience everything I want to now, I'll experience it later. When and it's going to be better when Jesus restores the earth anyway. Like the Grand Canyon is going to be prettier. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I've been there. But, but like Mount Everest. Like if I want to climb Mount Everest, it might, it's probably still going to be here. It's going to be prettier. And, and I won't die climbing it. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good things to think about. We have an eternity to walk with Jesus, and we have an eternity to experience things. Let's, let's live like it. 
Uh, second one is start thinking of life as an opportunity to leverage what you could never hold on to for something that is eternally significant. Paul chose to leverage anything he had, anything he had a right to for the kingdom of God. Um, he knew that what was supremely valuable was Christ. He didn't fret over the small things. And, and a third thing that, that came out of my mind, just learning to rest in Christ. I don't have to justify myself. Stop beating yourself up about how sorry you are for, uh, uh, so, so, sorry, let me say that better. Stop beating yourself up about how sorry of a Christian you are. And start rejoicing in the faithfulness of Jesus on your behalf. Listen, so there, I, I've met a lot of Christians who spend half their time sulking about how terrible they are at being a Christian. Do, do you realize that's the work of the devil? That's not Jesus speaking to you. Because Jesus doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants to dr drag you out of that pit. He wants to set you on a higher place. And, and, and knowing these things, knowing that you're justified, not based on your own faithfulness, but on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, changes everything for us. We have to embrace that that is true and allow the Spirit to move in us and through us. And, and church, ultimately, we have to learn to rest in the faithfulness of Jesus. And if there was one thing you took away from today's message, that's the thing. Let's learn to rest in the faithfulness of Jesus on our behalf. I'm convinced that it's not the Christians who strive the hardest who are the strongest, but it's those who have learned to rest the most in Christ. I want to pray for you, and then uh, I know Pastor Richard is going to come and share uh, from his heart. Father, um, we, we are uh, indebted to you, and the amazing thing is you don't hold it against us, but rather you've poured your life out for us so that we might be set free in Christ. And so I gave a few ideas of some hang-ups people might be holding on to. Might, might be keeping us from fully embracing the faithfulness of Christ on our behalf. But Father, I know that those were only a few ideas. I know that there are many more. Somebody could be dealing with something completely different from any of this. Uh, somebody may really be under some oppression this morning. There may be those in this room or listening to this broadcast who have never truly embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you just want to set them free today. There are those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but we, we're just really wound up with a lot of things, and you want to loosen our hearts. You want to let us, you want to teach us to rest in your ways. So God, wherever we are, I just pray for spiritual healing in this place today. I pray over those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, but we beat ourselves up over, over some things that we've done. I pray for those of us in this room who, who, uh, who, who have walked with Jesus for a long time, but we've just really struggled to get over the next hump in our walk with you. And we're just really struggling. But there's grace for us. And Father, I pray for those who have never embraced Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Lord, I pray that you would rest upon them your spirit, call them to freedom in Christ. And Lord, raise them up. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.